You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Terry, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus' Talk on the Hill. For more information, please check out our website at www.creekside.org. Good morning. I don't know if you're watching the news, uh, but I believe it's Jeff Bezos who is um, orchestrating and setting up and paying for a a next space launch so that some people can go and be part of it. Uh, I saw in the news last night somebody or they're setting the bid at $28 million. Is is anybody interested? (laughs) Well, somebody is, and they didn't say who, but... uh, it kind of reminds me of a story of this astronaut who was preparing for his true story, his first launch into space, and he was asked how he felt. And he simply replied by saying, how do you feel knowing that you're going into space in an aircraft with over 144,000 parts that were supplied by the lowest bidder? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's going to cause just a little bit of worry in your being. I would be a bit concerned as well. And today I want to talk about security and worry. And bear with me, I'm going to try and, uh, time is quickly escaping, and I got to get through, I'm going to try and get through three sermons today in one uh, sermon, one talk. So hang with me. Um, Worry is an interesting thing. I saw a sign on the internet that said uh, there was in front of a church, there's a big sign at Bethel Evangelical Free Church, and it said, don't let worry kill you, let the church help. <laughs> I, I read that. I thought, wow, uh, there, there's probably times when that happens, hopefully not at Creekside. Uh, but Jesus calls us uh, to put our full trust and weight and leaning in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but first thing I want us to do, if you would look at uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 16. And I'm just going to kind of walk you through uh, the rest of chapter 6. And I want to look the first thing, how to fast or how not to fast. Um, I, I did a teaching on this a number of years ago, and I was going to do it today. But again, I just I, I decided to kind of write it out for you. In your notes there, you'll see just a bunch of reasons why we fast. You'll see in one section of it some ways to fast. Uh, there's a lot of ways to fast. Some of us have physical incapacities that really diminish our ability to maybe go without food for a lunch or a day or a week or whatever somebody chooses. So that wouldn't work. Uh, there, there have been times when I've simply fasted from watching TV or I've simply fasted from, uh, the Lord forbid, but chocolate. And um, really, there's things that I do that I just, the, the idea, one of the ideas behind fasting is that you tell your flesh no. You just say, no flesh, you're not going to rule and have what you want. And it's then during those times that I would spend extended times in prayer. Well, this is what Jesus said. Verse 16 says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. He's talking about the Pharisees. For they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. 
<laughs> Can you imagine that? You're going a day without food. Man, you're just a grumposaurus. You get home and you're yelling at the kids. You're kicking the, don't kick the dog. You're, you're moving the dog out of the way. You're kind of, kind of snarky with your spouse. And they say, what's wrong with you? I'm fasting. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Or don't go, yes, I'm a, I know I'm looking a little peaky today, but I'm fasting unto the Lord. Uh, you know, he, he's saying, don't, don't, don't do those things. He says, truly, I tell you, if you do that and it's obvious to people, you're going to have your reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, shine up your face, wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but it's your heavenly father who sees who is in secret. It's interesting. Jesus uses kind of those juxtapositions of language where he says, don't do public. Let your father who is in secret see it. You be secret too. And the one that matters will see it. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, Jesus is in, in, these, in chapter 6 until we get to the next part we're going to be moving into. He's always challenging the Pharisees and the religious people, the, the elite religious people and rulers of Jesus' day. They flaunted their spirituality. They wanted people to recognize them and to see them. And, and the Pharisees were really bad because they would have been like the big pastors of the day. You know, and, and they were the big dogs that everybody looked up to. And Jesus says, no, don't, don't let them be the ones that you aspire to be. Because they would have looked, walked around. They would have prayed on the corners of the streets. They would have had the sad face. Yeah, oh, blessed brother, I'm just fasting to God. You know, and then there probably would have been like pomp and circumstance, hail to the Pharisees coming behind them so that people would really know they're important and spiritual. And Jesus is doing a death blow to that. And he says, don't act and become like that. Jesus said in, in chapter six, early on in verse five and six, he says, they're all show, but they have little heart. Don't be like that. These activities of prayer and fasting, they're not simply religious rules that we have to follow uh, as much as they're important for us to help us align with God and to seek his face and to seek what he wants for us. And obviously our nation is in that place. Our church is in that place. Our community is in that place. You're in that place for many of you. And so we're just, I'm inviting people to join us. And I'm not trying to set up some kind of program that everybody has to follow because everybody's different. So I want to give you the opportunity to not have to say, I'm doing this on this day and woohoo, look at me. But you do it when it works for you. Uh, but to begin to be praying for our, or continue praying, but being fasting for our nation, uh, for our church. And next week, we'll probably have a transition update for you. But set yourself to do this, not as some kind of religious order, but as some kind of a divine direction to be able to align your heart and your life and your thinking with Jesus and what he wants to do. So if you would check out that uh, sheet today of, on the prayer and fasting and begin to use it as kind of a guide. Now, Jesus moves from prayer and fasting, which almost always in scriptures go together. And he's going to move to the different realm in this talk where he's going to talk to us concerning our treasures and worry. And I don't want you to miss as we walk through this how they're all deeply and tightly connected. Context is king. And contextually, these really do work together. The things that I'm going to be reading uh, this morning for the rest of the time we're together. 
So let's pick it up in uh, verse 19 because it's a question of your treasures, of our treasures, my treasures. Jesus says, here's what I don't want you to do. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and dust, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. Wow. Store up in heaven, not earth. Uh, the Lord says here, don't, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Let's face it, the value of gold, the value of silver, investments, investments in cars, investments in a lot of things that they can definitely ebb and flow. There's probably a lot of us in this room at different points in our lives have been upside down in different things that we have invested in because they had depreciated or the value dropped. Here's what we know. Nothing is guaranteed of anything that we have. Real estate can go up, it can go down. Investments, they can go up, they can go down. Nothing's guaranteed. Now, a lot of us in the economy that we've been in for... Uh, you know, the last 30 years, I say, well, you know, it's pretty good, except for what, 2008, 2009. And that's true. But nothing's guaranteed. And Jesus knows that. And he says, I don't want you to put your trust in that. Well, is Jesus saying, don't save for a rainy day, don't invest or plan for retirement or pay plan and save out to pay for your kid's college? Are we just supposed to let go and let God no, he's not saying that at all. There's way too many scriptures. If you take in the context and the totality of the Bible, it totally and completely, it doesn't just challenge and encourage, but it tells us to plan ahead to save. But Jesus has a reason behind this that is so important. So why should we be laying up treasures in heaven instead of here on earth? Well, we do both. We need to save. We need to prepare. We need to plan ahead. We need to be ready for a rainy day, for retirement, for whatever we're doing. But here's the issue. Jesus states very clearly where he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, Jesus knows people. He knows you. He knows me. And here's what he's saying. He says a person's heart will follow their treasures, but their treasures won't necessarily follow their heart in man's kingdom. Gulp. See, he's talking about the temporal focus versus the eternal focus here. What are you going to focus on? Yeah, sure, we've all got to make money. We've got to pay a mortgage. We've got to pay rent. We've got to make car payments or pay them off. Whatever we do, we've got to do those things. So he's not diminishing the importance of work and taking care of things. Well, what's the gravitational pull of your thinking and ultimately your heart? Uh, one of my sweet, sweet best friends, uh, when I was younger and first came to church here, he said, listen, this is what I want to do. I want to help you. I said, I'll take any help I can get. Yeah, well, financially, you know, I want to help you financially. So he, he says, but, but I, I got some ground rules for this thing. Uh, you you got to put some money into this that I'm going to work with it and help build it and everything. And uh, eventually he started helping do that with the church as well. But he said, here's the deal. 
I don't want you looking at any spreadsheets. I don't want you looking at any bottom line sheets or statements for at least a year. Some of you are thinking, you're crazy, right? I, you're, I said, okay. I says, okay, because here's what I don't want. I don't want you bugging me. I don't want you calling me when things fluctuate and they go up and down and you, there's <clears throat> significant losses or significant gains. I don't want you calling me and asking me why and trying to tell me what to do. But then more importantly, he looked at me and said, you know what? You don't have time to do this. I like what you're doing in the church. And I want you to focus on that. So what was he saying? Well, if you read between the lines, what he was saying is, I know how this could begin to engulf your thinking and your focus. Where every day you're looking at it, every month you're wondering why, how come, where, what's taking place. And he said, what I want you to do is to focus on what God's given you to do. Now extrapolate that out, friends, because that's what Jesus is saying to us. Do all the right things financially, but don't ever let the treasures of earth become your focal point. Make sure that you're laying up treasures on earth, on, on, in heaven because that's where it's eternal. See, the treasures that you lay up in heaven, is that's what you're doing now with your time with your resources, with your giving, with your sharing, with your helping people, with your giving your time and being able to spread it around. You see a need, you fill it. You don't go, ah, I've only got five bucks and that's going to cost me four. I'm not going to do it. That's an eternal investment when you sense the Lord God leading you to do something. And we could just go on with examples, but you're smart people. You pick it up. Creekside's been great at this. And I just want to remind you, make sure that you're continuing to put treasures in heaven because you understand that everything I have belongs to the Lord, but he simply lets me use it, steward it, and invest in his kingdom for his purposes while I'm taking care of the daily stuff on earth. Pick it up at verse 22. Jesus goes on to say, well, the, the eye of the lamp of the body, it's your, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Again, Jesus is challenging his ears. What is your focus? What do you have a vision for? He says, your eye is literally the pathway to illumination of who you are, what you see, how you respond to the things around you. If you have an evil eye, he says, you know what? Your life is going to be full of darkness. Have you ever seen anybody with an evil eye? I mean, it's not like, you know, one of those things you see on TV, you know, where it's a weird color or whatever else or kind of whatever they do. Have you ever seen the special effects? But an evil eye is just the way you see life, the way you interpret life, the way you approach life because of all of the stimulus and things that you're taking in. Now, Proverbs 28, 22 says a person with an evil eye hurries after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. 
See, Jesus is, is, is tying this whole thing together. That the reason we struggle with treasures on earth or treasures in heaven, because we focus on earth, because our eye has a tendency to focus on the temporal and the here and now. In some of your translations, it says money. In my uh, CSB translation, it says money. Some of yours, it says mammon. And mammon, and there, it's, just more, it's more than just this currency. Uh, but it can, it, but it, Jesus says, you know what the problem is? It can become a master of your life. You know why? There's a spirit behind it. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how you get something and you might want something more? Or maybe you get one of one thing and you want two more of those things because it was a great deal or you think you're going to need them or you know you're going to want them later. It's amazing how, you know, the, the more you get, the more you want. And that's even true in money. The more you get, the more you want. Somebody asked, I think it was Rockefeller, they asked him, how much money is enough? You know what he said? Just a little more. And we can be that way with just about everything in our life. And Jesus gives us this, this deep warning and he says, you're, you're, you're either going to master your possessions and your resources or they're going to master you. At some point, you're going to begin to neglect one or the other, you're going to kind of lean into following God and trusting in him, or you're going to kind of go, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own, and I'm going to trust me, myself, and I. And it's going to begin to move you away from God because of your focus. Paul said it in 1 Timothy 6.17, he says, tell those who are rich... Not to be proud and to put their trust in money, which will soon be gone, but their pride and trust should be in the living God who is always richly giving to us. Listen to this, for our need and for our enjoyment. See, God doesn't have a problem with what we have as long as what we have doesn't have us. I have a friend who uh, he would probably say he still goes to church here, but I never see him. But every time I see him, after service, invariably, I can talk on, it doesn't matter what I talk about, but he will run up to me and he will say, oh, pastor, it's so good to see you. Oh, it's so good to be here. Oh, it's so good to just be in God's presence. I know, I know what I've got to do. I, got, I know I've got to start giving. I know I've got to, and I just talked about sex. You know, but he says, I've got to start giving. Um, and, um, and, 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 and he says, I've got to start giving, and I've got, got to prioritize Sunday. And I just look at him after about 10 times, and I say, well, why don't you? Well, you know, you know, you know, I, I got to make money. I says, you have to work on Sundays. Well, no, I got my own business. And, you know, but, but I just, you know, I just want to keep making money. I want to make more money. But you don't give, but you want to give, but you want to make more money. Tell me how this is all working for you. See, his focus is, is so far off, but he's heard so much and he knows so much, but he won't make the sh shift. 
And that's what Jesus is really challenging here. Is he saying, you know, you, you, all, you, all, you all kind of know what to do. Do it. Get your priorities right. Here's the question. Are you going to focus on this kingdom or my kingdom? Because if you'll focus on mine, it's going to all begin to work out. Don't just trust in your resources. Put your trust in God. You understand there's three kingdoms that you deal with all the time. Uh, there's the kingdom of darkness. This is basically Satan's kingdom and domain. Uh, even Jesus said that he's the prince and the power and the ruler of this place. Ephesians chapter 6. We see in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 that even Jesus recognized the power that Satan had in the realm with which we live on this earth. His, his kingdom is about enticing and tempting and dividing and destroying with the ultimate goal is to turn you and I against God to live in rebellion against God. John 10, 10 says that a thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I'm not talking about financial, but that could be part of it. But just this abundance of life where it's enjoyable. See, that's what Satan wants to remove and take from every person and drag them, suck them, entice them into living the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of man. Scripture says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a lie. There's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way and ends in death. See, this is simply man. The, the kingdom of man is simply us trying to recognize ourselves as God and putting ourselves in the place of God. Where we do what we want to do, how we want to do it, and we really give very little or no consideration to who God is and the claims that he has on our lives. That's the kingdom of man. Yeah, we've come a long ways. I mean, you know, look at where we've come from, from the olden days to here. I mean, just pick any time in history to what we're doing now. Absolutely. But then look at the big picture. We can do these things. We've got technology. We can send people to, you know, space. We can, I mean, heart transplants, body transplants. I mean, we can do it all. But is man any better? Is mankind, is humanity any better? No, because... The kingdom of man is really established by sinful people. Then there's the kingdom of God. The whole sermon on the mount that we've been talking about, we've talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. That's what the sermon on the mount is about. It's about how God's kingdom operates. It's about how that kingdom is established. It's about how people in that kingdom live, you and me, as we choose to follow Jesus. Some people think the kingdom of God is heaven. Some people think it's pie in the sky. Some people think it's this or that. The kingdom of God, loved ones, is right here. It's right now. Jesus said that in Luke 17, 21, where the Pharisees, again, were, where's the kingdom? And he says, it's right here. Look around. You've got to look around. It's right here. Why is it? Because King Jesus was right there in their midst. And see, that's what we're living for. 
that we bring, that the rule of Christ and his rule and dominion enters into a life and a situation whenever he's invited in and we begin to live that out. Here's the truth. Whenever you're not living for the kingdom of God, for his rule and his reign for your life, you will live for one of those other two kingdoms, the kingdom of man, your personal kingdom, or the kingdom of darkness. So he says all of these, and then he takes us to this this next part that is so important, because he says, leading into this, if you don't tie this together, if you're just reading, you go, oh, wow, that was kind of a big thing. You went from here to talking about worry. Well, the reason is, is because the kingdom that you live in, if you're focusing on the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of man, you're going to be a little bit of a fraidy cat. (laughs) You're going to walk around nervous and wondering what in the world is going to happen to this world. Man, are we on the brink of apocalyptic end times? You're just going to worry. Or if you're, you know, you're so tied into your resources and you don't have any care for anybody else. It's all about you yourself and your kingdom. You're going to worry. And so Jesus even shows us with a transitional word, therefore. And remember, whenever you see the word therefore, you always want to go, what's it there for? Because it means he's referring to what he just talked about. Therefore, verse 25, therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, because of what I just said, I'm going to tell you this. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what your, uh, or what your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Well, of course. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And and then he asks this other rhetorical question. Some people forget that there's humor in the Bible. But Jesus says, hey, I got a question for you. Can any of you add one moment? Some of your Bibles say an hour. Some of your Bibles will say a cubit. We'll have a cubit there, which means it's about the length of your fingertips to your elbow. Can you add an hour? Can you add a cubit to your life? By worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Well, some of you might say, well, I'm a fashionista, man. I gotta, I gotta keep up on everything. Well, observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor and glory was adorned like one of these birds. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do so much more for you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry. Don't say, what what will we eat? What will we drink or what will we wear? Because the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So here's what I want you to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, and he underscores this for the fourth time, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus is saying, here, he says, first of all, the problem is, is you, you, you worry about the wrong things. A a decade ago, uh, we lived in these times that were dubbed the age of anxiety. 
in their excellent book, Worry-Free Living, Minerth and Meyer define anxiety and worry as an emotion that a person faces in the face of perceived threat or danger. And they point out that, that this anxiety and worry ranges all the way from a mild case of worry to flow to full-blown panic attacks. I don't know about you, but I don't think anyone would say that the age of anxiety from a decade ago when it was dubbed that has improved in the last decade. I would say we're, we're surrounded by more uncertainty. And yet these words are timeless. And Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. I love what Arthur Rochet Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And that's really how our brain often works. Is we have these, these kind of uh, thinking highways and roads that are etched into our, our, our cranium. And he says that the more you worry, it's almost as if it becomes like the gutter or the drain flow for every other thought in your life. And we start worrying about things that, well, we don't have to worry about. We can worry about our food or clothes. But Jesus says there are more important things to worry about than these. The truth is we do. We worry about the wrong things. We worry about temporary things that often never happen. Research shows that that is true, that some of the biggest things we've worried about never, ever happen. Jeffrey Kluger wrote an article for Time magazine entitled, Why Do We Worry About the Things That We Shouldn't? He wrote, as human beings, we pride ourselves on being the only species that understands the concept of risk, yet we have a confounding habit of worrying about mere possibilities while ignoring probabilities. He says, we're afraid to fly, despite the fact that only a few hundred people in the U.S. on commercial airline crashes in a year and 300 people or less die, compared to with 50,000 killed in motor vehicle wrecks. We put filters on our faucets. We install air uh, ionizers in our homes. We use antibacterial soap. At the same time, a percentage of adults still smoke, fill our bodies with bad food. Today, we go to cities with crowds. We eat and we shop, uh, but we won't attend church where we wear masks and can generally distance with low risk. Trina and I were at a grocery store a week ago. Pulled up to the checkout line and there was a mother and teenage son there in front of us. And, you know, the, the checkout, the, the thing where you put your stuff on, it's pretty long. And uh, so we started putting stuff on there and she was up further, you know, where you pay. And we're just kind of, you know, just minding our own business, being the sweetest people in the world like we usually are. <laughs> and, um, and all of a sudden, she turns around and she goes like this. She goes, would you mind? Would you just please back up? My son here has not been vaccinated, and he's a high schooler. I did the best thing that I could. I just didn't say anything. I just backed up, stepped back from the woman, okay? Because she was really mad. So we just, you know, we didn't say anything, we just, whatever. 
we walk up, we get up there after we gave her about 20 feet and um, we walk up there and the checker looks at us and she goes, man, I'm so sorry that happened to you guys. Really sorry. I said, it's no big deal. Deal with it here and there. And she goes, you know what's funny? If she was so concerned about her son, why did she bring him to this store? I said, you know, honey, I'm glad I didn't know that because I might have said that. <laughs> but here's the deal. We, we fret over possibilities that never materialize. It simply becomes wasted emotion. And all of that worrying accomplishes nothing. Someone defined worry as fear in search of a cause. And most of our worries are without cause. Take a deep breath. Look to Jesus. Let it go. Jesus says we worry about too many things. Secondly, Jesus says worry doesn't add up in your life. Jesus asks in verse 27, can any of you add one moment, one hour, one cubit to his life by worrying? It's a rhetorical question. It's an exaggerated question because of course not. No one can do that. Worry can't add any time to your life. Here's what we do know. Worry can subtract from your life. It can affect it in so many negative ways. Um, worry is a major cause of illness with people who become worried sick. Worry is the prime cause of ulcers, colitis, migraine headaches, insomnia, hives, high blood pressure, weariness, and a host of other physical maladies. Mathematically speaking, worry can't add up to anything good and adding to your life. It always will take away and subtract. George Burns, uh, many of you are familiar with, lived to be 100. This is what he said. If you ask what is the single most important key to longevity, I would have to say it is avoiding worry, stress, and tension. And if you don't ask me, I'd still have to say it. <laughs> I love that. See, worry robs you of your physical health. But it also robs you of your emotional and mental health. It's so hard to enjoy life when you're worrying. It adds nothing to your life, but it subtracts because it costs a lot. Uh, Jesus said, why worry about tomorrow? Today's got enough problems of its own. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Don't you wish that, 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 that sounds kind of interesting, doesn't it? Man, I wish today would worry about tomorrow for me. I mean, think about that. that but, but Jesus is thinking, it's, it's kind of almost this, this, this spiritual hyperbole that is so true. Yeah, let today worry about tomorrow. Because each day has enough trouble of its own. It makes no sense to borrow tomorrow's troubles for today. Worry is the interest that you and I pay today for tomorrow's troubles. Don't borrow against tomorrow. Take a deep breath. It's Sunday. I'm going to worship God and let it go. And I'll get to that when I have to. Someone said our anxiety is based on our fears of the future and our depression is built on the pain of our past. Jesus is trying to challenge them and us. I want you to live for today. I want you to live for today so that you can have a sense of abundance of life and people see that you can trust me in the midst of it. 
We're not saying, I said it earlier, we're not saying don't plan, don't prepare for the future. Do that, but don't worry and fret in the process. Jesus is simply encouraging us to live one day at a time. Don't miss the moments of today because so many do that. I have a proclivity to do that. I'm always thinking a week, a month, a year, two years in advance, and I haven't had any fun. You know, in the days that some of you do that, start working to say, Jesus, I'm going to focus on today. And here, focus on his truth, not your facts. Jesus says we shouldn't worry. And he tells us, he gives us three wonderful things uh, that God, about God that should dispel our worries. And the key is this. Will you focus on this truth, what God says, because this is the ultimate truth, or will you focus on the facts of your life? And there's a big difference between truth and facts. Do any of you watch the news? Do any of you watch news commentators? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And you can establish facts in your life that are not based on the truth of what God says. And that's where worry is going to begin to be diminished in your life is when you focus on his truth, not your facts, because God knows what you need. Your heavenly father, verse 32 says, you know what you need. God knows. Jesus said the same thing earlier in this chapter in the context of the Lord's prayer. He says, don't be like the pagan, pagans who think they, they can keep on babbling in order to be heard by God. He says, your father in heaven already knows what you need, what I need. Do you know what your children generally need? If you have children, raise your hand and say, I know what they need generally. I mean, yeah, we can't tell. Okay, most of us, we understand that. Uh, when our boys were young, Trina and I, if we had to leave town together, she made sure the boys were cared for. We, we didn't just pack up and say, hey, guys, you're on your own. I know you're seven and eight, but you guys are pretty mature and you can handle this, you know? Uh, we, I, I thought about it sometimes, but uh, not Trina. She planned the meals. She left written instructions for the caregiver. She left money for gas and emergency, all of our phone numbers, all of our contact information to where we could be reached. She thought of everything to make sure that our boys were well cared for. I mean, she was like the heavenly mother. See, you and I, we know what our kids generally need, and we're not going to not meet those needs. We're going to take care of them. And Luke says when he's talking about this prayer in the same context, but in Luke 11, he says, if you, if, if, if you as earthly imperfect fathers and mothers want to do good and give good, how much more does your father in heaven want to do that? Nothing catches God by surprise. He's never in the dark. God knows you far better than you know yourself. How many of you know how many hairs you have on your head? I know some of you do, because you don't have many. You can get up in the morning, okay, well, I got 12 now. <laughs> Lord, let them stay, or multiply them like the bread. But here's what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 30. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows. He knows every detail about you. Nothing escapes his presence 
purview and his watchful, watchful eye. Right now, today, God knows where you are. Listen, God knows what you're facing tomorrow morning. Whatever it is, he knows. He's there. Here's the question. Do you know that he knows? Because secondly, God cares for you. Consider the birds of the sky. They, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today thrown into the first furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? Oh, you have little faith. See, that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Your faith. That Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater here. He says, if God cares for the lesser, flowers to birds, and then he cares for the greater, people. So there's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And God values you above all else, just like I value my wife and my family more than anything that I own. God values you above everything else and anything else in his creation. As a matter of fact, your, your value to God was supremely expressed through Jesus Christ. I love when we were singing the last song where it talks about our value and how what God in his reckless and abandoning love, abandoning everything else for you and I, it says that what he gave his life for us, he died on the cross. That speaks of value. And, and that's for you, and that's for me, and that's for everybody. Some of us have a hard time understanding how valuable we are to God. You can't imagine why God would value you the way that he does. You struggle with that. But you're worth more than you'll know. Would you just say this with me? Say it after me. I matter to God. I matter to God. I have worth to him. I have worth to him. God cares for you. I, I, I want to pray right now just for a moment for some of you and some of you online. Some of you, you, you have never really grasped this. And I just want to pray for you this morning. Father, the fact is some of us struggle with our value as people. We've been abandoned by parents. We've been divorced by a spouse. We've been rejected by our kids. We've been questioned by people around us. We've been betrayed by friends. But that's not where our value comes from. God, I pray that every person in this room that struggles to understand this, every person online that struggles with this, that they would see their value is ultimately, completely found in you. Would, would you speak to each person right now, just through their spirit, that I'm here, I care, you have worth. In Jesus' name. Amen. And then the last thing is God will provide. God will provide for you. He says, seek ye first this, his kingdom and his righteousness, his right living, his right standards of life. Be a kingdom person. And he'll do everything. 
God can do anything. He knows what you need. He cares for what you need. I want to give you two things. These are so simple. I almost didn't want to say them, but that's what Jesus says in this whole thing. Number one, trust God. This is the truth. God knows and he cares and he provides. But, but if you want to win the war over worry, you've got to believe it and embrace it and receive it and walk in it. If it, it is true, but until you believe it, you'll continue to worry. And ultimately, worry is unbelief. Someone defined worry as temporary atheism. When we worry, we act like God doesn't exist. Jesus asked his disciples, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, here today, gone tomorrow, how much more will he take care of you? And then he says, oh, ye of little faith. See, this was the story, this was the source of their worry. They didn't believe and trust in God. It wasn't that God couldn't be the source of their life and provide us. They didn't trust him to do it. You ever wondered what you should pray about? Here's the question. What worries you? What causes you anxiety? What concerns you? Let that be the launching pad for your prayer life. Don't stay there. But I'll guarantee you, if you begin to pray when you worry, you'll begin to see those worries kind of begin to take wings and fly away. Trust God. It's always the first step in winning the war over worry. There's a story reported in the uh, April 2011 issue of Time magazine. While staying alone in her convent, Sister Margaret Geary, she was an 85-year-old Catholic nun. She got trapped inside a broken elevator for four nights and three days. She tried pushing the inside door open. She tried getting out. She did everything she could, but the electricity went off. She had no cell phone reception. There was no signal. Fortunately, she had carried a jar of water and some celery sticks with her and a few cough drops into the elevator to go back to her room. At first, Sister Margaret said to herself, this can't happen. But then she decided to turn her elevator into a personal prayer retreat. She said it was either I panic or I pray. She later told the interviewer for CNN, she started viewing the experience as a gift. I believe that God's presence was my strength and my joy. Really, he was, she said. I felt God's presence almost immediately. I felt like he provided the opportunity for a closer relationship. It's the same with you and I, friends. We either panic or we pray. And the last thing, prioritize God. I just say this, seek ye first him, the king and his kingdom. Continue to read through the Sermon on the Mount, the big talk on the hill and say, I want to live like that. Because when you do, you become a kingdom person. You become a spiritual entity in God's kingdom. And that's when the things of this world begin to change and to shift. And you move away from them because you're moving in to God's kingdom, his rule and reign and dominion. That's the distinctive of our Christian life, loved ones. We're not alone. Just bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we come today. The goal is never to fill our time, but to fulfill it. 
We can fill our lives with so much. But Lord, would you teach us as individuals, as a church, how to fulfill our time with you? We seek you. We seek your ways. We seek your life. We listen to you. We ask of you every day in every way. Lord, what do you have for me? What's a, what's a worry, friend, right now that you're thinking of? If, if you have a worry that's just kind of full court press on you, pinning your back to the wall, just as you're sitting there, would you just take your hands and open it? And say, Lord, here's, here's my worry, my anxiety today. Would you teach me? Would you lead me and guide me in how to give these things up for you? And it's possible there's people here today that you've never said yes to Jesus. If you don't invite him to be the king of your life, you'll never enter into his kingdom. But this is the king that died on the cross for you so that you could experience not only peace with God, but Philippians says the peace of God. And so maybe as you sit there and open your hands, you would also say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I choose to follow you today, the Prince of Peace. So Father, I pray for that, for our lives today. Let us go out and be peacemakers in your name. Amen.